0: Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all its resources for free. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us here at the Ville Church. We're so happy to be able to be online and teaching and preaching. As we know, it's hard to get out in these times with everything that's going on with COVID. Again, the first and second month of the of the of every month first and second Sunday of the month we do join in live and we have live service here on 8th and Pearl at the Boys and Girls Club um, but I'm happy to be here to bring the Word of God this morning um, I'm gonna give you my title right away and if you can grab your Bibles are real important open to the book of Ruth we're gonna basically go through that whole book yes surprisingly but it should go well I hope um, when troubles come your way when troubles come your way now these are the things that happen in our life things that are hurts you know all the bad Uh, there's three ways that these things come and then we'll pray Uh, first is our own doing you know every person sinned every person has fallen on the place of this planet Um, and so we all hurt we hurt there are things that we do that end up hurting ourselves then the second way we end up experiencing wrong or bad or evil or hurt or harm is through others others that do it to us and of course, no surprise if we even do things that hurt ourselves, others also do that. And then there's the third way, and that third way is through just life itself, right? Um, this world is fallen, and um, there's brokenness. For example, too much sun gives you sun sun um, burn. Uh, too much cold will give you frostbite. And if there's earthquakes, floods, and the like, that also brings destruction. So. We know that in this world, those pains and hurts come in those ways. Now, when I think about all that can come to you and to myself in this life, it makes me think, it makes me pray and ask God, what is it that I could give? What kind of message do you have for your people? And I'm praying so that way it would help the Veil Church. It would help all those that live in the Brentwood area and, and the surrounding areas as well. And so I stand before you, here this day, believing that what God has is that what He's provided this morning, and so would you pray for me for that? We're going to be talking about the sovereignty of God. Let's pray for that, Father. I just pray this morning that uh, as I join with those that are listening today, that we believe God with all our heart that You are here this morning and that You're here for us, and that God, there's something that we can hear from You that would cause us to to put our gaze on You, to cause us to to, to to rest in you and to rely on you and to to embrace you, God, once again, I, I pray that this morning that we would all know that we we just don't have it, God. I don't have it this morning. I'm a man of unclean lips, and there's no way that I could even preach these words uh, without you, without your spirit in me. I pray, God, this morning for all of us that are here and listening and together in Jesus' name. Amen. So the sovereignty of God, when I say that, the sovereignty of God, from this Maybe this might be the first time you've heard that word. To some of you, uh, you hear it, but not much comes to mind. And then to you, maybe a lot comes to mind. But the Easton Bible, so what is the sovereignty of God? The Easton's Bible Dictionary defines God's sovereignty as his absolute right to do all things according to his own good pleasure. Let me say that again. The dictionary, uh, Easton Bible Dictionary said, God's sovereignty has as this, his absolute right to do all things according to his own good pleasure. Now, in order for him to do all things according to his own pleasure, that would mean that he is in control of all things. He's in complete control. Now, in other words, plain English, God gets to do whatever he wants. God gets to do whatever he wants. And if not, he was seeks to exist as being God If you were not able to do everything that he wants. Now, right there, when I say that, that God gets to do whatever he wants, it throws up a red flag for most of us, right? How many of you know somebody that has been in a place or a position where they're able to do whatever they want? Maybe it's in school, maybe it's in work, uh, maybe in your family, maybe in the community, you know, a politician able to do whatever they want. And it just doesn't go well when someone gets to do whatever they want. But because God is sovereign and God does not have to stop at just doing what he wants and what he wants is what's best. That's the thing. He is in control of all things. So he doesn't stop at saying, I'm going to do what pleases me or I want to do that. He actually can get it done because he is all powerful. He's the only one that can accomplish that. Now, the Bible says that God, what, is he, what brings him most pleasure is what's best for us so we've got to look at God's sovereignty through that lens that he's he wants what's best for us that's what pleases him and Romans 8:28 says this and we know God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them see right there those that love God God Purpose and plan and will is to work all things that come our way, good and bad, for the good. Jeremiah 29:11 says it this way: For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. So the God that I'm talking about comes from a place that gets to do all things according to his purpose, according to his pleasure. And what's his pleasure? That we would have peace, that we would have hope, that we would not have, not for evil, but for a good future and hope. See, God never has to do anything. He does what he wants to do. He doesn't have to do it. He does it because he wants to. He chooses it freely. Nothing forces him. That's why anything good that comes our way is all by God's grace. And that points us to what pleases God to work out for what is best for us. Now, it's usually not when we want it to happen, and it's not usually the way we want it to happen. Timing and how is usually unknown, and that's the hard part when it comes to God working out what's best. Now, in order for it to be true that God is sovereign, what I'm about to say also has to be true. And I said it before, he is a complete complete control of everything. There is not one thing that can keep his plan from coming to pass. He is in complete control of everything in the solar, from the solar system all the way down to every living sow in every or, living organism. He is in control of countries and kings and rulers, and at the same time, he's in control of your mail showing up when it shows up in your mailbox. He's also control of every gnat, every noceum, every mosquito, and when it bites you. Every raindrop that falls from heaven, each one of them, he is in control of and where it lands. He's also in control of the wild salmon that go upriver. And how many will be caught by the grizzlies that year? And how many will go on to continue upriver? God is in control of everything. Job 42 two says it this way, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. Psalms 3 says, Our God is in the heavens, and he does as he wishes. So we see here that God is in complete control. Um, There's another scripture that says, For the Lord of hosts has planned, and who can stop it? For whatever he's planned, who can stop it? His hand is stretched out, and who can turn it back? To illustrate this, we're going to go look at, at the book of Ruth. Um, The book of Ruth starts off with the main characters, Naomi and Ruth. And obviously the book is the book of Ruth. But what we find there is Naomi had a husband and two sons. And as these two sons grew up, they met two other ladies by the name of Orpah and Ruth. But tragically, Naomi lost her husband, And she lost also her two sons. So instantly, they became three widows. And that's where we find this story. I'm going to start in chapter 1, verse 6, just for the the sake of time. And it says, Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops. During this time, there was a famine, and they were coming out of it. And so Naomi says, I know where there's some food. So Naomi and her daughter-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. And with her two daughter-in-laws, she set out from the place where she had been living. And they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughter-in-law, Go back to your mother's homes. And may the Lord reward you for your kindness towards your husbands and towards me. But, uh, and may the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. You can imagine the pain and the suffering and the hurts that they were going through. But, verse 10 says, no, they said, we want to go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, why should you go with me? Um, Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters, return to your parents' homes, for I am too old to marry again. And even if it were possible and I were to get married tonight and bear two sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not. My daughters, things are far more bitter for me than you because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. Now we see that she's trying to push them off to go back to where their homelands are, but they're saying, no, we want to stay with you. And this last part, we start to get a glimpse of God's sovereignty. Now, um, Naomi says, God's fist has been raised against me. Now, another way of saying that is God's will is for me. God's will is described as the hand of God that moves. And right here, that's what that means. We think fist as in someone wants to, to hit, but that's not what this means. And so Naomi's just pulling out that, hey, some you know, God's hand, God's will is not for me right now, or it's bitter. It's far more bitter for me than for you. So she's not saying here, uh, that God is, has done something wrong or done evil. Um, it just, uh, the word bitter here is a, a way of stating there's grief. So what happened to Naomi and Ruth's husband was tragic. But one thing that is clear here is that Naomi says to part, to, to not part from the Lord, right? Very important to note that she doesn't say, God does something wrong. She does not turn against God. And how do we know that she's not turning against God? But she also asks for God to bless them. Verse 14 says, and again, they wept together and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law and her people and and went back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. Uh, Naomi says, but Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go, and I'll, and wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, I will be, and, I, and there I'll be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw the, that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. Wow, could you imagine that? You know that the word, the name Naomi, means lovely and winsome? How winsome and lovely was Naomi? How God used her and put her to be so winsome and lovely for her daughter-in-law to be able to say, I'm willing to leave my father, my mother, my homeland, and come and follow and be with you. So the Ruth, the daughter-in-law, was not opposed to God but rather the opposite. She says Naomi's God will be her God. Wow, what an influence, it's amazing. This is also confirmation that Naomi was not discrediting God at any point in her time with them. Now, there's a ton of pain in their story. And this is an example where pain can cause believers to come together versus separating us apart. And it's so vital, side note on this, is just to remember that our pain, we, in our pain we must turn towards each other and towards God and not away from each other. Ruth 119, the story goes on. So the two of them continuing, continuing on their way, and when they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. And they said, is it really Naomi? The women asked. Don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mata, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. Mada means strength in expression, but it's an expression of grief. Verse 21 says, And I went went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by her daughter-in-law Ruth, the young uh, Moabite woman. They arrived in Bethlehem in late spring and at the beginning of the barley harvest. This is the most difficult part about believing in God's sovereignty. This is where we all struggle. This is the question of all questions that we will never have an answer to until we face God, until we get to heaven. And that is the the question is, why does God allow the evil, the wrong, the hurt, and the pain. And again, the word evil is basically another word for bad. That's really what the word is. We make it so much more dramatic, but it's anything bad. Why does God allow tragedy? See, knowing the answer would make us the creator. That's what we want to do constantly. We want to constantly dethrone God and put ourselves on the throne and say, I know why. I can explain this. Or... We want to put something else, something that we're willing, we think is best for us in our life on the throne rather than God being there. What is more important than the why is the who. Whose hand are we in? When it comes to evil that comes from others, whether it's willfully or by, my, by mistake that they make, if it's evil brought on by ourselves or just this broken world and the circumstances that we're in, there's, it's not by accident. See, we're held in the hand of God. We're held in the hand of God and nothing can come to us without his permission. That's important. Isaiah 64, eight says, "'But now, O Lord, you are our Father. "'We are the clay and you are the potter. "'We're all the work of your hand.'" If God is not sovereign in all those hurts that we go through, are by accident or random, then that would mean every one of our pains are a waste. But that's not so with God. Uh, Ruth 2.1 says, Now, there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. One day, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. Naomi replied, all right, my daughter, go ahead. And then Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And as it happened, she found herself working in the field that belonged to Boaz. That's a clue there. The relative of the father-in-law, Elimelech. We get to see the sovereign hand of God at work right here. Here's where we see God lining it all up. All up. Ruth going not just to anybody's field, but to Boaz's field. Ruth 2.4 says, While she was there, Boaz arrived from from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said, and the Lord bless you. And the harvesters replied. So here we see Ruth just didn't go to anyone's field, but he also went to Boaz's field, but also that he showed up at the exact same time she was there. He could have came an hour later, an hour earlier, and they would have missed each other. And verse five says, then Boaz asked his foreman, who is that young woman over there? Who does she belong to? And the foreman replied, she is the young woman from Moab who came with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. She has been hard at work ever since, except for a few minutes rest in the shelter. Boaz went over and said to Ruth, listen my daughter, stay right here with us when you gather grain. Don't go to any other field, stay right behind the young women working in my field. See which part of the field they are harvesting and then follow them. I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly and when you are thirsty, help yourself to water that have been drawn from the well." Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness? She asked, I am only a foreigner. So why is Boaz showing such favor to Ruth? I mean, as we all know, she's a foreigner. It's the opposite. Let's see. Verse 11 says, yes, I know, Boaz replied, but I also know about everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I have heard how you left your father and mother and your own land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. Wow. My goodness, this is where we get a glimpse into the sovereignty of God of when he allowed something as tragic as losing her father-in-law and her husband and even her brother-in-law all at once. And he works it for the good. This story of her devotion to her mother-in-law now has come to Boaz, and Boaz is saying, "'I want to favor you.'" Ruth, have blamed, uh, Ruth could have blamed God for the following. First, he took her from her mother and father. He took her from her homeland and her community. And then second, he gave her a husband that would only end up dying and leaving her a widow and without children. And then to be left with the mother-in-law. Who wants to be left with the mother-in-law? LOL, that's a joke. Uh, Trying to break the seriousness here. But instead, this evil that fell on Ruth and Naomi became the story that led her to the favor with Boaz. But not only that, but most importantly, favor with God. Hebrews eleven six, six, and this is where I think where we all get caught up, and it's probably the hardest part of this whole sermon to actually get, and I'm gonna read it. And it says, and it is impossible, this verse right here, Hebrews eleven six, six, and it is impossible to please God without faith. Not that part, but faith has everything to do with it. I'll get back to that. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe, this is the part, that God exists. We can't do that apart from him, We need him to cause us to believe. But this is the part that's hard, that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Again, we must view God through this lens, knowing that he rewards. Reward means that he has favor and grace for us in our lives. And how does that happen, he says, the only way we can even please God is through faith. And where do we get this faith? Ephesians says, it's a gift. God causes us to believe, and then God causes us to believe that he, ha- he is a rewarder. So when we are weak in our belief that God is a rewarder, God give me faith to believe that. And that's the hardest part, is to believe that God would actually reward us, that he has good intentions for us, and that's how we must view his sovereignty the only way we can actually get through those times that are really hard. But instead, this evil that fell on Ruth and Naomi became the story that led her to favor again. And that favor was most importantly in favor with God. Ruth uh, th- 2 verse 13. I hope I continue to please you, sir. She replies, you have comforted me by speaking so kindly to me. And even though I'm not one of your workers. At mealtime, Boaz called, her, uh, called to her, come over here and help yourself to some food. You can dip your bread in the sour wine. So she sat with her servants and Boaz gave her some roasted grain to eat. She ate all she wanted and still had some left over. I could imagine how hungry she was not being able to eat even all day and who knows for how long. Then it says in verse 15, when Ruth went back to working again, Boaz ordered his young men, let her gather grain right among the sheaves without stopping her. In other words, as much as she wants. And pull out some heads of barley from the bundles and drop them because they were Basically back then they would pick up whatever had fallen and drop them on purpose for her let her pick them up And don't give her a hard time. So Ruth gathered barley there all day And when she beat out the grain that evening, it filled the entire basket She carried it back into town and showed it to her mother-in-law Ruth also gave her some roasted grain that was left over from the meal That's again showing the heart of Ruth thinking of Naomi and bringing something back for her ready to eat where did you gather all this grain today? Naomi asked, where did you work? May the Lord bless the one who helped you. See, we can see Naomi's heart is still blessing God and asking for God's blessing. So Ruth told her mother-in-law about the man in whose fields she had worked. She said, the man I worked with today is named Boaz. My, may the Lord bless him, Naomi told her daughter-in-law. He is showing his kindness to us While as to your dead husband, that man is one of your closest relatives, one of our family redeemers. So I guess back then in that time they had people that could redeem. And we'll see that in the future and how that works out. And so happened to be one of their own family's redeemers. Ruth said, what's more, Boaz even told me to come back and stay with his harvesters until the entire harvest is completed. Good Naomi explained do as he said, my daughter. Stay with this young woman, uh, with his young women, right through the whole harvest. You might be harassed in other fields, but you'll be safe with him. And then so Ruth worked alongside the women in, in Boaz' fields and gathered grain with them until the end of the barley harvest. Then she continued working with them through the wheat harvest in early summer, and all the while she lived with her mother-in-law. See, we all want someone to notice us. We want someone to see us. We all want someone to show us favor. We all want someone to recognize our hurts and our pains and then do something about them. And we're all looking for someone who will provide for us and also be a place place of safety. We're basically all looking for Jesus. And that's what he provides. He provides for him to work it out for our good, for our safety, and for our joy. uh, Ruth 3-1 goes on to say, and one day Naomi said to Ruth, my daughter, it is time that I found a permanent home for you so that you will be provided for. Boaz is a close relative of ours, and he's been very kind in letting you gather grain with his young women. Tonight, we will be winnowing barley. He will be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Now do as I tell you, take a bath and put on perfume and dress in your nicest clothes. Then go to the threshing floor, but don't let Boaz see you until he's finished eating and drinking. Be sure to notice where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down there. He will tell you what to do. I will do everything you say, Ruth replied. So she went down to the threshing floor that night and followed the instructions of her mother-in-law. After Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he lay down at the far end of the pile of the grain and went to sleep. Then Ruth came quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and turned over. He was surprised to find a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am the servant Ruth, your servant Ruth, she replied. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed. You are showing even more family loyalty now that you did before. Now than you did before, you have not gone after a young man, rather rich or poor. Now, don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary, for everyone in town knows you are a virtuous woman. Hold that there. But while it's true that I'm one of your family redeemers, there's another man who is more closely related to you than I am. Stay here tonight, and in the morning I will talk to him. If he is willing to redeem you, very well, let him marry you. But if he is not willing, then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you yourself. Now lie down here until morning. Ruth lay at Boaz's feet until the morning, but she got up before it was light, enough for people to recognize each other. For Boaz, had said, no one must know that a woman was here at the threshing floor. I like to point out that Boaz really kept in mind that she was a virtuous woman. Virtuous meaning that self-respected and, and that she, um, you know, was someone that is to be um, valued. And so he didn't touch her. You know, he didn't do anything other than wake up that morning and say, I actually want you to leave early, so that way you wouldn't look bad. And so that's what they did, and she she left. And when Ruth went back to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, What happened, my daughter? Ruth told Naomi everything Boaz had done for her. And she added, He gave me these six scoops of barley and said, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. And then Naomi said to her, Just be patient, my daughter, until we hear what happens. The man won't rest until he has settled these things. So we find in the next few verses, I'm not going to go into it, but basically Boaz gathers the elders of the city, gathers this other family member and says, look, uh, would you like to redeem them? And redeem them basically is that he was going to buy, purchase the land that was left over to Naomi that I think that they couldn't even afford to keep. But with that came the marrying of Ruth. And so this person at first said, yeah, I'll do it, and then because of the risk of losing his own property, especially Ruth being one of the owners now, if he were to marry her, he says, no, I can't do that. And so Boaz said, okay. Then Boaz said, and this is verse 9, we pick up in chapter 4, verse 9, and we're almost to the end here, said to the elders and to the crowd standing around, you are a witness that today I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Mahalon. And with the land I have acquired Ruth the Moabite widow of Mahlon to be my wife. This way she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property here in his hometown. You are all witness today. Then the elders and all the people standing in the gate replied, we are witnesses. May the Lord make his woman, this woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah from whom all the nation of Israel descended. May, your, may you prosper in Epipharath and be famous in Bethlehem. And may the Lord give you descendants by this young woman who will be like those of our ancestors, Perez, the son of Tamar and Judah. So Boaz took Ruth into his home and she became his wife. And when he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant and she gave birth to a son. Then the women of the town said, Naomi, praise the Lord, who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth, care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter in law, who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Now Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast, and she cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor woman said, now at last Naomi has a son again, and they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. This is the deep genealogical record of their ancestry. Perez was their father, Haran. What we find here is God's sovereignty. And in this word, the Bible here, we find a record of 4,000 years of a prediction of that God made back in the garden, that the serpent's head would be crushed by the seed of Eve, meaning her genes, her, uh, she would be the ancestor, the the related all the way to Jesus. Now, the only way that could happen is if those that were related to Eve would not die within 4,000 years, had to be preserved. And that's what we find in the book of luke in the book of luke and that's what the purpose of genealogy is is that we find um, the descendants named there um luke one uh, i'm sorry not luke matthew matthew 1 verse 5 says solomon was a father of boaz whose mother was rahab boaz was the father of obed whose mother was ruth obed was a father of jesse Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon. Her mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. And if you continue to read the genealogy, it says, and it's connected all the way to Jesus. So there's no way that we could deny that God is sovereign by knowing that there's 4,000 years of him preserving the coming of Jesus, which brings us to Christmas, right? Right? So the book of Ruth was not only recorded so we could have this amazing reminder of God's sovereignty in her life at that moment, but it's also a story of the gospel. See, Boaz is a type and figure of God. See, when it comes to the sovereignty of God, the biggest problem in this question is, why is there hurt or pain or evil? Why does God allow that? That's the big question. And boaz encounters in this situation that is broken it's bad all the way around it's evil in in other words it's it's broken you have two widows that are basically begging for food one's too old to marry the other one is a foreigner they don't have enough to even keep the land that they have now and it's a difficult situation even naomi told her own daughter-in-law you need to go back everything that boaz boaz has received is basically needing intervention. It can't really get any worse other than for an intervention. And that's the only way that something good could come out of this. Now with God, the only thing is that, um, the only thing that he has to work with, hear me on this, is what's broken. Everything has been affected by the fall of Adam and Eve. So everything is, 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 uh, been, been, um, affected by sin. So the question is, why evil, right? And we get stumped on that question and we hold it over God's head as if we really have a right to, but the question that we should be asking ourselves, hear me on this, and the one that we should be getting stumped on is why do we get to experience anything good? Let me just take God out of the picture for a moment and explain it this way. Let us use common reason here. If you were a king and you had a kingdom, let's say if you were a God and you made the world, but let's hear a king, out had a kingdom and the people in your kingdom did harm against you. And what they did hurt you. It just didn't hurt you, but it also hurt everyone else and affected the whole kingdom. Since they did something that was against the king and the kingdom that brought harm, that brought evil, you would only have one choice to give them as a true, righteous, and just king. And that would be justice. Justice would mean that you'd have to carry out the penalty for their wrongdoing. If you were to let it to go past, then that means that it's okay to bring harm to the king and harm to the kingdom and those that are in the kingdom. So that's what we find here, that it wouldn't make sense to not bring this justice. The only way you could actually redeem this is for you as the king to pay the price that justice requires. That's the only way for you as a king to intervene. This is exactly the gospel. There was no other way for other than for God himself to intervene and cause some people to believe that he paid for our wrong by dying on the cross. In return, he receives a broken world with broken people. And in his sovereignty, he still guarantees that he is working all things for our good. See, we're guilty before God. And the only way was to bring justice. And the justice was that there was death to pay. He told Adam, if you sin, you shall surely die. There is one that intervened and that was God himself through the person of Jesus died on the cross and paid that penalty, the only perfect person in this world that lived life the way we should live in complete obedience to God, our King in the kingdom here on this earth, the kingdom on this earth. And in his sovereignty, again, he guarantees that he works all things for the good. See, the reason Boaz was willing to pay the price and put his life on the line was because he was going to get Ruth. See, the reason God put it all on the line, his most precious son, was because he gets to have you and he gets to have me. See, I really believe that there's only two options here. There's one option that we can say, Man, things just happen, just accidents, just life, just the way it is. And there's no real reason or rhyme. There's no heaven. There's no God. If he would, why would he allow bad things? And, and you know, I'm just going to try to be a good person and, and do the best that I can. And hey, if there's a God and at the end of the uh, end of the road and, and, and I meet him, hopefully he'll accept me because of everything that I try to do what's good. That's called self-salvation. That's self-righteousness. That's hoping and, and praying that you could be good enough. But God's standard is perfect. Or, hey, in the end, there's nothing. There's nothing there. And so everything that happens to you, every hurt and every pain, every suffering that you've gone through is for nothing. And that doesn't make sense at all. Or, we could believe and trust that God has a plan. And that we are his Ruth and he is our Boaz, that we need him to intervene and we need him to rescue us. See, the the thing is that when Naomi was going through all the hurt and the pain, it was still God's sovereignty. She pointed it to him. It was him allowing it, his will. That's one of the things that can bring comfort whenever we're going through a hard time and we're hurting is that if we know that this didn't get past God and that God is allowing it, whether it's something we've done or others or just life itself that's broken, that brings us comfort that he's there and he's actively involved and he's aware and that he can also help us as we grieve and as we go through these, that hard time in our life. But that at the end of it all, he is working it out for our good and for his glory. See, one day, all sadness will become undone. All wrongs will be made right. One day, we'll be able to see Jesus face to face and it's all gonna make sense and that question will no longer be there. And that brings us comfort and that brings us encouragement. And I know some of you might be going through something right now, And because of the pain, it's hard. And there's no way you can believe that on your own. And I wanna just invite you to be able to surrender to what it is that God's doing in your life and to give it over to him and say, if this is happening, obviously you know about it. And I want you to know that God grieves when you grieve. It's not that you're alone in this. He knew knew the the pain and the suffering that we would all go through. And then all of a sudden his son goes through it because he's not a God God that's far off just saying, oh, I wanna just get whatever I want and we'll just see how it plays out. No, he's everything he works out for our good. He has our best interests at heart. And I invite you to follow him, follow Jesus today. And I don't know if you've ever believed or trusted in God or ever followed God, or you can just go another way where you're on your own. And I don't know about you, but that's a lonely place. That's a place where it doesn't lead to anything other than more loneliness and more destruction, more pain, Or you can draw near to Him. He says, He's a present help in a time of need. He says, cast your burdens and your cares on Him. And the sovereignty of God is this, is that no matter how hard and how bad it is, He is gonna work it out for the good. Sometimes we will never know why, but we know who. We know that God loves and cares for us and has us in His very hand and nothing comes goes past Him. I wanna encourage you, as Naomi and Ruth's story has encouraged us today, to look at that story to remind you the reason God placed everything on his son, all of our sins, all of his wrath was so therefore he gets us that God is our Boaz and we are his Ruth. Would you follow Jesus? Would you follow him? Because you know that he's given it all for you. He's not someone that just stayed not caring, but he intervened in this world. We're about to celebrate Christmas and that's about the coming of the Lord into this world. 4,000 years of God's sovereignty of working it out. So that way he would be a God that is a God of his word. That's where we look for comfort is we look at the word. We look at these stories and they're not stories, they're actual events and we remind ourselves of the goodness of God. I hope this is encouraging to you, church. Can't wait to see you in person. If you can make it out for second Sundays of, of the month, uh, this next week, we'll be doing a prayer walk. And uh, so let us pray. Father, I just pray for all those that are listening today and that are that are hearing this, God, under the sound of my voice, that Father, you would uh, somehow just give them the faith as you know how, because it's a gift. Would you bestow mercy and grace on us, grace and peace, that we'll be able to rest in your hand, knowing that you are our Boaz, that you are interfering, that you see us, that you know what we need, that we're longing for your safety. Would you cause us to understand that you can work out anything for your good? Would you bring healing where there's pain and suffering? Would you bring provision where there's lack and need? Would you bring peace, God, where there is a storm? In Jesus' name, amen. God bless each other.